Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. What we are learning are midot. Um, they're, they're qualities that we want to focus on, and they're more than just kind of intellectual concepts that we are uh, meant to, to understand or to apply in, in particular unique contexts, but this is something that we hope that we behave in every manner of our days. And the idea that a midah is something, it's, a, it's something that we're measured by. That's literally what a midah means. But then we measure ourselves by this certain quality means that this is something that we need to practice. And the concept of ahava, love, is a wonderful and important value to try and capture and define, but also to practice. Because we know that there are so many different dimensions of love, just like as we're going to define this morning, so many different dimensions of Yisrael. And uh, put the two together and to say that the love of Israel is also in a dynamic is something that I think we need to spend some time exploring. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I would imagine, first of all, all of us that are in this learning group this morning uh, tend to already have a pre uh, preconception of what love of Israel means to yourselves individually, to us individually. And, uh, and those who hear the love of Israel might consider that a trigger. They may hear that and say, but wait a minute, I, I, I know what Israel is in, in its modern context. And when I think about the love of it, uh, there's just all kinds of things that are really problematic about it. So, um, so if anybody is kind of like learning today with a little bit of skepticism about what it means to love Israel, um, I hope that through our study, we'll kind of begin to parse out a little bit why why it is that um, that there is so much conflict uh, around the sense of love uh, in general and love of Israel in, in particular. And, um, and I think that, you know, what I want to share is just something that helps us to define what love is um, in order for us to begin. So I'm going to share the screen. Rabbi, do I have the capacity to do that? Yeah. I, yeah. Fantastic. Here it comes. So this is a little bit about love. Okay. And I'll make it nice and big for us. Okay? So this is love versus marriage. And anybody who's been in a relationship or any kind of relationship, whether it's sort of manifest in, in a pledge and devotion of commitment throughout one's life, you just get understand the idea of love versus marriage. Right? Marriage is a different kind of expression of love. So look at this. Love is holding hands in the street. Marriage is holding arguments in the street. Love is dinner for two at the Ritz. Marriage is Chinese takeout. Love is cuddling on the sofa, and marriage is deciding which sofa. Love is talking about having kids. Oh, so romantic. Marriage is talking of getting a break from the kids. Love is about losing your appetite. Marriage is about losing your figure. <laughs> Love is a flickering flame, and marriage is a flickering TV. So from the outset, if we're going to talk about this concept of love of Israel, the idea that at the end of our learning together, there's one idea that Avat Israel means is a complete false premise. And the idea that I hope you take away from our learning today is just like love and marriage, right? You, 
you love the idea of love and love in relationship is that uh, it's twofold. One is that there's a certain level of independence. There's a certain recognition that you are a self with your own independent identity and you have enough love inside of yourself that sort of bubbles over and spills into the world. And with that love that you have as an individual is, is reached, is reached by another out in the world, you might very well find a partner. And that might be an individual or that might be a community or that might be an idea. But that love is, is expressed in relationship with another. Once that relationship is established, sometimes people stand under a hoop and they say that relationship is something that we want to continue to grow and express through the rest of our lives. But even if it doesn't have a chuppah, that idea of love growing and transforming over time is that it starts with a certain idea, just like that wonderful quote, right? Love is a flickering flame and marriage is like a flickering television. I don't even know if they have flickering televisions anymore because they were 24-hour live streaming TV. But you remember what that concept was like with all the little fuzzy black and white things that when the TV would actually turn off, <laughs> you know, I'm terrible. Personally, I'm going to share with you, like I come and sit in the bed and I would be great to like catch up on some sort of television show to watch. But what happens, I, there's something biological. It must be like what happened when I was a kid and, uh, and I got put down in the crib. As soon as the pillow hits my head or I hit my head on the pillow, that's it. I'm out. That's great. It's great. Um, it doesn't make for wonderful relationships because there's so many great TV shows that we would love to watch together. And usually what happens is we start watching it together and then I fall asleep. And then my wife says like, you know, I continued watching and I said, why did you do that? I missed the show. And you know, we, she tries it again and then that's the end of it. So again, there's this wonderful, wonderful thing that happens about love which is this first moment of recognition that you as an individual have more than enough kind of like love in your soul to share with another. And then when you have the capacity to share that with another, whether it's another person or a community or it's a, an idea that you're passionate about, right? That, that, that concept of love, it transforms from a sense of affection, right? That like you have something to share to a level of acceptance, that what that what that response is in the share that you give, that's something that actually changes you. It changes the way that you think about yourself. That's what love means. So then to take love and apply it to, to Israel, to Yisrael, is something that um, we need to really explore. So I thought today what would be a lot of fun is to go a little bit through what are the definitions of Yisrael and how this love moves from a place of affection, right? It's like the dinner for two at the Ritz and dinner Chinese takeout. And to try and understand how do we get from this one to the other one and recognize that even Chinese takeout or a flickering TV or getting a break from the kids or just kind of like being is a deeper, more meaningful, more passionate, more caring love than we ever could have imagined. So it begins a little bit with the sort of definition of Yisrael. So we know that the definition of Yisrael is um, from, from the, the biblical verses um, when Jacob is wrestling with the angel or the divine being or his brother Esau or himself, whatever that wrestling experience moment is, Jacob 
struggles through the entire evening and then before the dawn breaks or as the dawn is breaking, um, this being wants to leave. Jacob says, I won't let you leave until you give me a blessing. And the blessing is your name will no longer be Yaakov, it will be Yisrael. And the definition it kind of gives there, it says, because you have struggled, you have striven with divine beings and have survived, prevailed. So there, Yisrael, by definition, etymologically, is the sort of um, wrestling, Yasurel, right? And that's, that's one of the, the ways that we understand it, that, that Israel or, or B'nai Yisrael are the people that struggle with Israel. They struggle with this idea of being in partnership and in relationship with God. That is one very powerful definition that uh, has carried us through. Uh, you know, just in the last week that we read in the Torah, it's actually two weeks ago now, we read in the, in the Torah that God says through Moshe, he says that ever since I've known you, you've been defiant of the Lord. And if you look at all of the different stories of Abraham and of Yitzhak and of Yaakov and of Moshe and of B'nai Yisrael, that we are a constantly striving, struggling people with God. We are Yisrael. We are not just wrestlers with God, but we're actually defiant in contention with God. And that idea that Yisrael means that we're either not completely satisfied with the presence of God, and it's something that we are attempting to prevail over, um, in order for our understanding of it. Or I would like to just pose it as another definition, that, that we are the ones who never give up on God. We never give up on God. Right? Ever since God has known us, we have been defined. We've never given up. So Yisrael, by that definition, is another way of saying that we are constantly in struggle and in contention with finding where God fits in our world. That's another definition of Israel. A third definition of Israel I, I take from um, the great uh, the biblical scholar in, uh, from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Um, his name is Israel Knoll. Uh, he taught us at the Shalom Harman Institute in Jerusalem. And this one is actually a really fascinating one just to hold on to in our definitions of what we're talking about. Um, the idea that, so again, this Breaking out Yashar El, or, or which could be straight with God, or Yisar El, which could be wrestling with God or struggling with God. There's another way to define it. Um, and, and he takes the word Sar. A Sar is in Hebrew a, a prince, uh, a, a position of royalty. So Yisar El, or Yasur El, means that we would become as if royalty in the court of God. We are the sort of nobility of God. None of the struggle, none of the wrestling, none of the like, you know, perfect obedience that sometimes, sometimes is defined in the word of Israel. But this one is actually much more akin to the partnership model, but really sort of as we are, we are beyond loyal subjects. We are, we are partners with God. We are royalty as well. Our, our humanity is something that is, uh, is worthy of being in the celestial divine court. Yesur El. And this idea that we are Sarim or Sarot, we are princes and we are princesses. We are nobility in the divine court is another way of defining, defining what it means for us to be 
in relationship with God. And then you say, Ahabat Yisrael means, at that moment, Ahabat Yisrael means that we are loving our divine place in, or our place in the divine court. And that, that concept is another way of changing that biblical definition of who Yisrael is. The reason that I wanted us to start with that is because we know that throughout Jewish history, this definition changes. It changes a lot. By the way, I'm, I'm pausing here to move into the next thing. And, and if you, with your permission, I'll just, I want to continue sort of leading through the theme. And then as soon as I finish that, then we'll stop. And I'd love to open it up for questions and conversations. But if you have anything, go ahead and type it into the chat box. And in a few minutes when I take a big pause, we'll, we'll come back and learn more. Okay. So the idea is from that moment moving forward, we have a, a story about the people, B'nai Yisrael, separating themselves from God. It's, it's even built into the Bible, the, this whole idea that we've been defined from the Lord, or that even in the chapters that we're reading right now in the book of Deuteronomy, that tell us that we're not going to be in the presence of God once we enter the land. That this whole definition of us being um, a mamlecha kohanim, the goy kadosh, that we're going to be a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, that we're going to be privileged to be in the divine court of God, and that, that that relationship is going to endure throughout eternity, is something that is already told in the book of Deuteronomy as a, a failure of the relationship. And just, despite all the sort of historical and perhaps anachronistic analogies that we could draw from that and why that might be the case, the very concept that says that there is a part of our relationship that is going to separate us from this sort of divine definition of being Yasur El, of being divine beings or, or royalty in the partnership of divinities. That, that that change is going to result in exile. Nothing more powerful than this is what we studied during Tisha B'Av. And so here I want to share some of the rabbinic understanding that comes from the text. So this is actually from Lamentations, the uh, Midrashic work on, on Lamentations. It's called Lamentations Rabbah, Echa Rabbah. And this is actually the end of a very beautiful and incredible text. It is the most, one of the most impassioned texts about God's um, punishment of B'nai Yisrael with exile, and the pleadings of the celestial patriarchs and matriarchs, the Hebrew letters, the Sefer Torah, the great leaders like Moshe, and then finally Rachel. So this is another definition of Ahabat Yisrael. Who's Rachel? Rachel is Jacob's love. So when you think of Ahabat Yisrael, think of Rachel's love for Jacob. So here is a beautiful example. It's a powerful example of how the love of Israel actually saved the Jewish people throughout history. At that moment, so basically the, the moment leading up to this is Abraham comes and the Hebrew letters come and the Torah comes and they all try to present their case and prove why Israel is worthy of redemption, even though God has... has um, decreed the punishment of exile through the destruction of the temples. Okay? 
And in that moment, you hear the voice of Rachel. That moment, Rachel leaped before God and said, ruler of the universe, it is known before you that Yaakov, your servant, loved me very greatly and worked for my father for seven years in order to marry me. And when those seven years were complete and the time came for my wedding to my husband, my father decided to replace me with my sister for my husband. This was exceedingly hard for me, for it was known to me. I told my husband of it and gave him a sign by which he would be able to distinguish me from my sister so that my father would not be able to exchange me. Now, we're in Midrashic fantasy here, right? And that's, you remember that time where, where there's a little bit of whispering of Rachel. Well, there was, there's another Midrash that, that Rachel was whispering to Yaakov, even though Yaakov was literally cons, consummating the marriage with her sister, Leah. Okay? And if I, a mere mortal, dust and ashes, was not jealous of my rival and did not allow her to be shamed or humiliated. What of you, living, eternal, merciful king? Why are you jealous of idolatry, which has no substance to it? You have exiled my children, and they have been killed by the sword, and their enemies have done with them as they please. Immediately, God's mercy was aroused. So up until this point, God has been nonplussed by Abraham, by the Torah, by the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, by Moses. Moses, of all people, who stood in, in defense of the Jewish people so many times. God doesn't listen, says, this is it, I'm done, I'm exiling them. But at this moment, God's mercy is aroused. And he said, for you, Rachel, I shall return Israel to their place. And I want you to pay attention to the change. Okay, didn't say B'nai Yaakov, it says Yisrael. Okay, so this is as it's written. So says God, a voice is heard in Ramah, it is a sound of bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping over her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, for they are gone. And it is written, so says God, withhold your voice from weeping and your eyes from their tears, for there's reward for your act. And it is written, there's hope for your end, God promises God, and the children will return to their borders. The second Midrashic text, or the, the, this text that we're teaching here, is that Rachel, who is one who is a lover of Israel, is demonstrating such a great love. Look at what she's done. Right? This is this is like this is where affection ceases, and the love of acceptance, the love of commitment. And acceptance is brought to bear. It is brought to light in front of the Holy One. And it's laid before God. There's no more, there's no empirical proof that could possibly be demonstrated to prove that B'nai Yisrael is worthy of being redeemed. That's what the Midrash is trying to get at. And then, and then what happens is Rachel enters and says, I have a love that transcends the body. My, my feeling of jealousy, which is all contained inside of me, is, is nothing compared to my love, which I experience with Yaakov. And so therefore, I'm even allowing my sister to be in relationship with him. Now, you might read this and say troublesome. And you'll be like, oh my God, what are we talking about here? We're saying God should love idolatry? We're saying that God should accept idolatry. There's a part of that that may read like that. 
But I think what, what I want you to, to hopefully hear at this moment is that love that transcends the certain boundaries of self and other, which are sometimes broken down by things like idolatry, by things like objectification, by things of, that like diminish and, and put controls over or definitions over others and selves. That that kind of love is a part of our experience of love, but it's a very limited kind of love. But real love and true love expands beyond any of those definitions. It's a sense of being, it's, it's the idea that Martin Buber talks about. When Martin Buber talks about love and says, I and thou, the idea that the thou, when you are in relationship with the thou, what is happening at that moment is that it's no longer about you and it's no longer about the other. It's, it's about the thou which is in relationship to me. It's I am in relationship to it and it's in relationship to me. This Midrash teaches us that from that place, Rachel, with sobs and with tears streaming down her cheeks, she is saying, my love was so great for Yaakov that even that moment of pain, that moment in which I felt like myself was diminished, was was important for me to set aside because my love transcends that. And if you, God, can see that in the people of Israel, they love you that much as well. So what I wanted to say for this is the second piece, and then we'll bring one more piece. The second piece of this is that is that when we think about our love, there's a transformation that goes beyond just our definition of attraction, of infatuation, of the passion, the care, the love, the, the power of the stories that we hear about B'nai Israel. And now we have to begin understanding a certain level of acceptance that even in those stories which sound perfect and they sound completely contained, there's, there's a failure here. There's a weakness. There's a, a limitation. And, and if we're truly to be in love with Yisrael, that means we have to understand that there's limitation too. So let me bring one more piece. This is another great piece also from the Midrashic tradition. And this is a wonderful open to what it is that we're talking about today. Okay? So this is from, by the way, for those who are interested in, in Midrashic and, and rabbinic work, a lot of discussion about B'nai Yisrael, about the love of Israel, and about the definition of who Israel is and its understanding of its relationship post-destruction comes from Leviticus Rabbah. And also, coincidentally, this Midrashic piece is primarily concerned with our speech. It's primarily concerned with Lashon Hara. It's concerned with how we relate to the other. So this idea that Yisrael is, is sort of uh, also akin to relationship with the other, this is a great example of how that is brought into balance. The notable ones whose names derive from the first of the nations, says Amos, Okay. And there, this is sort of like a, a quote. This was kind of like the kickoff quote, right? There's those whose names derive from the first of the nations, okay? Israel derives their name from the Shemites, from Shem, okay? We are, um, we are the, you know, we are Hashem and we are the, the Shemiut and the Ivrim or Ovrim from Eber, the Hebrews, okay? Like the nation who named their notables as gods. 
So now this is another quote that sort of like builds off of this. So the name itself is something that um, feels like maybe it's transcendent, that Yisrael is a concept that exists beyond its sort of like mortal experience. The idea that that the name itself is something that is holy or sacred or it's completely, you know, separate from, from existence. There's a problem with that because then it becomes objectified. So this is the this is the, the way that it's dealt with here. When the nations dwell in peace, they eat and drink, get drunk, and engage in idle chatter. Right? So basically, everybody that's maybe lifted up to greatness, once things are not problematic, when the when all the fighting is done, they do this, you know. They do that everything that, that people do, right? Which is they sit and they drink and they get, you know, they, they are engaged in things that are, um, you know, less holy. So what do they say by way of glorifying themselves? Sorry for that. They say, who is as Balaam, as mighty, as mighty as Goliath, as rich as Haman? And imitation of them Israel comes and says to the nations, was it, was not Ahitophel wise? Was not Solomon wise? Was not Samson wise? Was not Samson mighty? I'm sorry, was not Samson mighty? Was not David mighty? Was not Korah rich? Was not Solomon rich? Let me just sort of clean up this up. I was actually just writing this, right? So here's the, the, the text, okay? So who is Yisrael? This is the imagination of Yisrael. The imagination of Yisrael post-exile and destruction is that somehow our identity is still special. It's still unique. That there's something, even though we have been exiled from our God, and that exile is not going to permit us to return for another 2,000 years. And even that now, after two, you know, over 2,000 years, that we are back in our home of after exile. And here we are in that, in that time, and we're still defining who Israel is. Part of it is this kind of imagination of who we are, juxtaposed to this kind of reality of who we are. One of the things that this teaching gives us is the way that we sort of distinguish ourselves. So every nation, when it's at peace, engages in eating and drinking. What is it, which is to say that when, when it's not fighting, it's relaxing, right? And look at us in, you know, the richest country in the world. We spend a lot of time working on our convenience, okay, working on our suntans, right? <laughs> That's what we do in a world in which we are at peace, a world in which we are rich, embarrassed with our riches. So the other nations of the world point to all these people, and they say, look at all these people. Wasn't Balaam wise? Wasn't Haman rich? Wasn't Goliath mighty? Look at all of these other nations of the world. They're all the, the people that we sort of, you know, ostensibly aspire to be. Okay, we're unique, but you know what? We're unique because once we distinguish ourselves from them, the thing that we get to do is we get to relax, just like they get to relax. Right? But the, the teaching, the subtlety of the teaching is each and every one of those characters had a curse. They had, a, they had a, uh, an axe to grind with the, with the, B'nai, with the people of Israel, that their, their mission wasn't yet complete, even though they dwelled in peace. They weren't at peace because 
they hated the Jews. There was something wrong with, you know, Balaam, right? He was like, you know, amoral, but he opened up, he was, he was hired to curse the people, right? Haman hated the Jews. And, and even though he had everything he wanted, he still, he hated the Jews more. And Goliath, this like big, huge, mighty creature, right, had all of the power and all the strength and all of the respect, and yet still wanted to fight and battle with B'nai Israel. So what does B'nai Israel do? It's kind of brilliant and problematic at the same time. If you noticed in the Midrash, they say, look, what you said, Balaam is wise. Well, we have Solomon, right? And, and we have Ahitophel, okay? That's another biblical story on and of itself. You say that Goliath, Goliath is mighty. Well, we have Salmon, uh, Samson, right? And we have David, right? Wasn't David the one that took down Goliath? Right? And, and you say Haman is rich, right? Well, what about our Korah? We got Korah. And what about, again, our Solomon? Our Solomon was wise. So what is the teaching here? It's like for every one of great that you think, we have two. That's one. And the other one that says is even though you want to distinguish us as just like or you want to like make us as, as general as every other nation in the world, we're never going to be that way. So Ahavat Yisrael, in that concept, is that we always have to love the unique nature that makes us the Jewish people and who we are. So the last piece for this, and then I'll open it up, is how do we bring it to today? So now here we are in modern day, and we have a state of Israel which I had mentioned at the beginning, may cause some people a trigger of concern when you talk about love of Israel. Because what that, what that might imply is that loving Israel, despite any of its failures or its foibles or its flaws or its, um, its contentions with power and responsibility. I want to leave us with one thought, um, and then I'll open it up. Um, the thought is about, uh, is from, uh, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, who wrote at one point, actually, um, during the, uh, the Intifada, and talked about how terribly difficult it was for, um, for Israel to defend herself, and, and why there was such a, like, a moral ambiguity that at least some were laying over the actions of the state of Israel when it was a much more powerful military in opposition to it's, um, it's opposition, it's, a, it, it's adversaries in the Palestinian people at the time. And the idea that Rabbi Yitz Greenberg puts on, he says, take, take on the tools of power is to take on the tools of responsibility. And that's what I think about when I think about love. To take on an experience of real love isn't to just rest in your own feelings of affection, the excitement, the release of the oxytocins that, that give you a sense of amor, uh, a sense of attraction, a sense of, of um, physicality in your love for another. That's too limiting. Real love is when you take responsibility for the other. And Ahavat Yisrael is not only a sense that 
that you love the people of Israel. You love the land. You love the history. You love the food. You love the the uh, you you love the sort of startup nation, the innovative spirit of Israel. You love all of those things that kind of make you love the fact that there's all kinds of like medical advances and they're bringing a light to the world and Himitzion Tetzet Torah that from the center of Israel the Torah flows out to the rest of the world. That's one kind of love, but the other kind of love that we must practice is the practice of responsibility to take on the tool of love here i took out power and i put in love is to take on the tool of responsibility we have to be responsible in our love and the responsibility of our love is something that just like we began begins with affection we care but it also reaches to a place of acceptance and that means that when mistakes happen when we are critical, it doesn't mean that we have to uh, look the other way or sweep it under the rug. On the contrary, real, authentic love, Ahavat Yisrael, means that we are actively participating and taking responsibility for the betterment of the soul of Israel, just like we take on actively the responsibility of the betterment of the soul of an individual who we stand under a chuppah and pledge our devotion to. It's just like the love that we express in a community and say we are responsible for this group of people and we love this community and therefore we express our commitment to make sure that it's responsible, despite the fact that sometimes it it misses. That kind of love is the most authentic kind of love. And you know what? It's probably a little exhausting. And maybe it's like a flickering TV. <laughs> Hit your head on the pillow and you wish that the day was over because that kind of love is exhausting. But for anybody who has been privileged to love another with that kind of depth knows that there is nothing more profound, satisfying, gratifying, and, and compelling than to have that kind of experience of love in your life. Um, I, I want to add another element of this, okay? Because it's actually, it's actually really important. Um, it's, this other, it's this other dimension about Ahavad Yisrael that I think needs, it's, to me, I'm trying to identify, I'm trying to shine a light on, I'm trying to, to put my finger on the, the strain and the tension that we feel in, um, in this concept of Ahavat Yisrael, when we talk about it in a modern idiom. And I didn't spend the time. I wanted to talk about the biblical stuff. I wanted to talk about the rabbinic stuff because I wanted to understand and establish how do we get to the place that we are today. So how is it that, like, a couple of really wonderful things happened? There was a new member of Knesset that came in and just taught uh, amazingly. Right, and this is the same thing. A few years ago, Ruth Calderon, who is just a, a beautiful, unbelievable um, teacher, she she's no longer in the Knesset. Is that right, Hannah? Hannah, yeah, is that right, right. Um, and uh, and this woman came in, and she just she teaches Torah, right. So how is it that in this modern state of Israel, in the center of its leadership, in the core of the decision making, that will help to shape and define, define and shape the the character and also the responsibility of this country that that we bring in torah right that that should make us really proud in and of itself okay that it says that underneath this there's a there's a system of values there's a moral system and i think that the first thing that we would say is like what's the moral system 
The moral system is the one that I think we read in our Torah reading, and it's the one that if you talk about with any of the sort of like politicians of today, it's the one that says, you know, God says, set before you um, life and death, choose life. Okay, choose life. Now, for, for the modern state of Israel, this has actually kind of really been um, you know, a, a, a practical, applicable concern. Because because it has had existential threats since its inception, arguably still has it today. And this idea that if you think about all the decision making that happens, that that goes sometimes you know perhaps astray from your own political personal beliefs, this idea that it is about choosing life is something that is so powerful. And when you think about what it is on the opposition, why there is another, the painful part of the story is that when you hear about those that don't love Israel, right? The Sonei Yisrael, right? Or Sonat Yisrael, right? That, that the conclusion of that is, is not Uvecharta Bachayim, but it actually Uvecharta Mavet, because choosing death is in some way the only possible choice, that is where you can see one, not only, but one of the, the points that makes the decision, uh, the decision making of the leadership so incredibly crucial. And why you'll hear like sometimes there's a there's sort of a, you know, a reflexive choice of a certain political party because th- there's an understanding that that will always be on the side of choosing life. Okay. Um, or, it, or, or it's converse, right? Because there's a, a choosing life, not of the moment, but of the future. The sort of future character, the future existence of the state depends upon. I want to bring up another piece, which is from um, Tal Becker. Again, another sort of great teacher from the Shalom Hartman Institute, but really uh, is a, an, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And he was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. And we're talking about the relationship of um, American Jews in Israel. And, and what he said, I thought was, it was so powerful. It's really challenging and powerful. Um, he began to talk about the relationship because, um, you know, if just like we said up until now, right? I want you to see about Yisrael, like the relationship between, you know, two loving partners. Um, the idea that the relationship between American Jews and Israel is fracturing. Is, is kind of the sign that he said, and it, it was stunning, right? We, we sort of explored it. Um, kind of like the beginnings of a divorce. And I, and, and I think that like, uh, th- that was, that was really powerful. We, we sort of argued about it a little bit, um, because it, it feels like when a relationship is breaking down and, and love, well, you know, love is there for many, many years. Okay, but sometimes the you know our lives move in separate directions. The, who we see ourselves to be, and and also sort of our purposes and our priorities, they, they're sometimes changing. And so as those sometimes change, you know, strong love is a way to bridge the chasm or to sort of like you know bring us attract us together. That that kind of work is really important. And he was talking about how this is the beginning, maybe of of like you know this is what happens when when people get divorced. Right? When they can't see eye to eye anymore. So if you hear that and you say, no, never, right? Never would it be that way that the, that the American Jewish community would divorce itself from the state of Israel or the Israeli Jewish community. 
the idea that there are some elements of this that say that our love is strained is something that that's what we need to be paying attention to. Forget the politics, right? The politics are important and powerful, but they're just moments. But the idea that the loving relationship and the commitment might be strained, that's where you begin to talk about Ahabad Yisrael. That's where Ahabad Yisrael actually comes into focus. What does it mean to you to really love Yisrael? That's where I'll sort of end it today. Ask yourself that question. What does it mean for you to love Israel? Are you loving Israel because there's great wisdom from our biblical tradition? Are you loving Israel because in the last 72 years, it became one of the world's most powerful nations. It became one of the most innovative, creative contributors to the advancement of technology and medicine and social life. If you love Israel somewhere along that sort of spectrum, then the question is, where does your love get into tension? Where does it transfer from affection and all the excitement that Israel does that's great? And where does it become the place of acceptance? the place where you are committed to taking responsibility for the other, in this case, Israel. And with that comes sometimes um, a little bit of patience when we fall asleep too quickly on the pillow trying to watch our TV shows together. And when you actually have to say, it's time, it's time to look at things differently and to be involved in that and to care enough to say it's time to think, look at things differently and to, to act differently. So if you love Israel that much, then you'd love to be a part of the conversation. And I hope that today our learning helped you understand the midah and the practice of that. One last sort of tip. If you're not doing it, you look like a very sort of committed group of people. But one last thing. If you want to know how to love Israel really well, get a lot of information. So from, from every level of the spectrum, right? So you can go to plus 972 and you can go to Haaretz. You want to be really, really, really uh, progressive, go to Wafa and go see what the Palestinians say about Israel. Okay, there's that. Then you can go to the Times of Israel, which is probably a little bit more in the center. And then you could go to things that start to lean to the right, which, boy, there's a lot. There's the Jerusalem Post. Right there's also World Israel News and the um, the Israel um, Israel American Council. Right there's a lot of places to get a lot of information, and if you want to really develop a deep love, get it all because it's all there. Thank you so much. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.